0: This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 44 for December 2011, with guest Ryan Habana, examining tongues part 1. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio. I'm your host, Andy Olson, proprietor of echozoe.com. Thanks for listening. This is episode 44 for December 2011. I guess this episode is friend, Ryan Habana, who returns for his seventh episode with us. Ryan pastors Conquering King Fellowship Church in Egan, Minnesota, is the director of Signet Ring Ministries and author of three books and counting. Ryan is also a board member of Echo Zoe Ministries. The topic of our discussion is Speaking in Tongues, and is the first of two episodes on the topic. In this episode, we take a look at some of the Old Testament background, as well as the relevant passages in the Book of Acts, taking a close look at the historical and cultural context in which the events in the Book of Acts took place. Before we start, I'd like to touch on a few things regarding the podcast and ministry. EchoZoe now has available, professionally produced, shrink-wrapped CDs of the episodes recorded with Dr. James White and Phil Johnson on Sola Gratia and Solafide. These are the two most popular episodes thus far, and make great gifts for friends and family that don't indulge in podcasting. These are available at their respective pages on the site, which are EchoZoe.com slash 31 for James White, and EchoZoe.com slash 37 for Phil Johnson. You can also find both of them at echozoe.com store. Also new to the website is CD subscriptions, which are another great gift for those loved ones that don't do podcasting. A subscription gets them a CD of the latest episode every month mailed directly to them. See echozoe.com slash store for details and subscription options. Be sure to check out the show notes for this interview at echozoe.com 44 for an outline of the discussion additional resources, and scriptures referenced. You can find Echo Zoe on Facebook at facebook.com slash ministries that's all one word, or on Twitter at at echozoe. Sign up for email alerts to be notified when new episodes become available by visiting echozoe.com slash alerts. See echozoe.com slash contact for our postal address or to send me an email. I'd love your feedback. I'd also love to get a postcard from you if you'd like to send one. You can send it to EchoZoe Ministries, P.O. Box 27465, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55427. That address is also posted at EchoZoe.com contact. With all of that out of the way, here's my interview with Ryan Habana. Welcome, Ryan. Uh, great to have you back
1: for yet another episode. Yep, it's always good to be back, and as long as there's topics, which there always will be... I mean, <laughs> I'll be willing to drop by. So today we're talking about uh,
0: the gift of tongues. We're going to be kind of exploring the gift of tongues uh, through through the scripture. What does the scripture say about tongues? And we're going to kind of use some of our hermeneutical skills here, taking a grammatical and historical approach to understanding what's going on with uh, the gift of tongues. And, but uh, as we do that, why don't I just have you kind of set the stage for where we're going to go and, and where we're coming from. What's the background of?
1: the study? Well, the way I came upon what a lot of you are going to hear through the next hour, and, and by the way, and I'm sure Andy will mention this, that we won't be getting through everything. We're actually just going to be looking at Acts today. Uh, we'll be kind of setting the context, clothing ourselves with the context, and then really uh, looking at uh, the teaching on on tongues uh, throughout the, the narrative of the book of Acts, and then Lord willing, uh, in a future podcast, we will have part two, where we'll be looking at uh, the teaching in 1 Corinthians, uh, especially 12 through 14, and then um, kind of the practical implications. But the way I came upon this, and maybe just a little bit of my personal background would help, uh, I was brought up Lutheran, and really in, a, in, in more of a, a nominal way, and it wasn't until I was in college where I really started biblical studies, which certainly shaped my belief systems, and and where I departed from, from several points of Lutheran theology, even though it was nominal, I didn't even know a lot of the things that uh, the, the Lutheran Church taught, and this was in the ELCA. But one of the things we never heard about in the ELCA was tongues. Uh, it was just something that was never really brought up. I, we had an Assemblies of God church in town, and I knew they had some some interesting practices, but I really didn't know what they were even all about. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't until I started studying the Bible that I ran into this, this issue of tongue speaking when you started reading through Acts and, and uh, 1 Corinthians. So really, as, as far as uh, trying to understand it, I really didn't have any... Um, any particular bent either way, was something that I was really kind of coming into. I know it's hard to come in neutral, but in in one sense I didn't have any bone to pick with with the modern practice of tongue speaking, but nor did I really understand it now, as I progressed in my biblical studies, I really just kind of came to a a general position that the gift of tongues was this miraculous. Uh, speech uh, that the 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 speaker really did not even understand what they were saying, perhaps even this static utterance, I was 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 certainly a, a possibility. Um, so I I was, but as far as my position, I always thought, "Oh, this is a gift that I don't have." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, very early, and I, I I had someone try to teach me how to speak in tongues, just to start to babble, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it just. It was it was just odd to me. It didn't. Awkward. It was awkward, and I, I, I even at the time I didn't really see any fruit in it, so I just kind of left it by the wayside. So I, my position really was kind of the open but cautious position. I, I don't think it. I, I never thought it was something that ceased because I I saw cessationism as as not really exegetically viable. But nor did I see uh, babbling as something that was that was beneficial. Mm-hmm. So I was really more or less open but cautious about the whole thing. And uh, that was really kind of my, my take. Now, over the last year, I really delved into uh, the issue of tongues because I was teaching a class at my uh, the church where I minister uh, at Conquering King. Uh, we, our Wednesday night class, I went through a, a course called the Household of God, which was uh, the nature and function of the church. And one of them was on spiritual gifts. So at that time, it was like, okay, you know what? I know all the the passages what, uh, where tongues are are brought up, but I really didn't really just uh, sink my teeth into them and and look at them through a, a, you know, a narrative perspective in Acts and even through a more of a contextual perspective in 1 Corinthians. So as I began my study, I really started to find there were certain historical aspects that aren't really brought to the equation of this whole debate on tongue speaking as far as the biblical understanding of tongue speaking. And uh, as these kind of came to the forefront, there were possibilities that I found very uh, intriguing regarding a kind of a fresh, a refreshed understanding of what tongue speaking really was. Mm-hmm. So I kind of presented it as a, uh, a, at, in the class as, oh, this is something I find really interesting. And I find there's some really persuasive evidence here regarding maybe this is the best way to understand what tongues really were and and are. Mm -hmm. And to kind of further test some of the theses, uh, I had a Bible study uh, this last summer, just on this, a four four or five week Bible study, I can't remember, to kind of test the waters a little bit. And there was a mixture of people in the Bible study when I encouraged feedback of people that either were kind of cessationist or lean that way or people that were uh, either uh, former tongue speakers but still saw it as, as something viable and the, the actually the the response from everyone uh, regardless of their background was very uh, positive and they saw many of the things as persuasive so really that's uh, kind of the personal background and I'm in the actually in the middle right now of, of writing a booklet on this which will Probably better document even than what we have here uh, regarding kind of the evidence and the dynamics of tongue speaking in both Acts and, and 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 First Corinthians. So that really is the the background right now, and I'm confident enough in the expedition now that I'm I, I'm obviously I'm going public with it. Right. Uh, as, as just we're kind of starting here, and um, Lord willing, this booklet will be completed and be available sometime within the next six months or so. Uh, and then we can hopefully uh, reconnect for a, a an episode on 1 Corinthians, as I'm sure there will be many questions.
0: And that's a good point. You bring that up, and, and we'll, we're certainly going to do that. So as people are listening, if you want to participate, interact with the show, I don't get a lot of interaction from listeners as far as um, questions and, and feedback and stuff, but... Um, this would be a great one to do. If, if you go through this and questions come up in your mind, please send them to us, and we'll, we'd like to address them when we address Part 2, likely next spring,
1: probably. Yeah, I, I, even uh, you know, questions or even objections or, or disagreements where you think this is something that, is, that I'm overlooking here. Um, as, yeah, anything. It would be great, that, be great that, to have. Yeah, I, I appreciate this, that so. because uh, we, we should never be afraid of, 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 of truth. Mm-hmm. And um, we should never think we we have a one hundred percent corner on truth. We should always be willing to have our beliefs and our practices held up to the the light of Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. and and um, you know that's the one thing too is a, as we progress here, there are going to be things that are, are going to, especially people that maybe were brought up in say an Assemblies Church or any uh, any form of Pentecostalism, mm-hmm. are going to really conflict with uh, the way you have read the scriptures. And even myself, as I read through Acts and as I read through First Corinthians, it was difficult to take the mind out of what I had traditionally understood. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of gets back to what really the, the thrust of this is, is all biblical interpretation is so dependent upon context. Mm-hmm. If we're going to properly understand a, a, a biblical text— we need to understand its historical context. We need to understand its literary context. We need to understand really how the audience would have originally understood the terms at hand and what the uh, the culture, what the uh, geography was like at the day. All of these things are part and parcel to properly understanding what's going on with, with, with tongue speaking in Acts and in 1 Corinthians. So I had to read especially first corinthians i had to read through first corinthians many many times to kind of in one sense get deprogrammed from a 21st century reading Mm -hmm. back into a first century reading and that is sometimes so difficult now that doesn't mean that uh they the texts are 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 static and and they're just they're, they're not living they are living but we have to understand what they were in the original context in order to draw out the implications and applications that we apply to our lives today. And you'll see not only in Acts, but also in 1 Corinthians, that there are immense practical implications regarding tongue speaking uh, and uh, how it affects it, really every single one of us as believers in, in, in the uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's set the stage, though, with kind of the background uh, far both the the textual context as well as the historical context of what was going on in, in the book of acts
1: well before we get to acts i the um we, since acts is such a crucial time in uh in salvation history we, we all know it didn't take place in a vacuum there was there was history there were prophecies there were uh declarations that we find uh in the old in the old testament that that we really need to understand to help inform what 's going on in 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 acts chapter two mm-hmm. and um I think one of the one of the best places to start is in Genesis in the beginning, we have the introduction of what we know as various tongues or languages and it was in the wake of the flood the uh the post flood world gathered, and there was this place called Babel and it 's a story most of us know well and in order for the Lord. To uh, to thwart the sinfulness that was developing uh, it, it, within this kind of one world under one language, the uh, the Lord uh, confused their languages, so uh, that it is at that point where uh, the world was introduced to various languages or tongues. And therefore, I think it's going to be helpful for us to define tongues. Now we'll, we'll we'll readdress this when we get to Acts, but uh, tongues in the Scripture, uh, when speaking when when speaking of of actual speech, is is speaking of a language. It's it's a it's a, a a mode of communication, and therefore the modes of communication were confused in in the acts of Babel, and thus we have this confusing which produced really all the languages we have in the world today. Now they've uh, you know they've they've departed and they've continued to split with different dialects and different languages developing over the ages, but they all have their their root in the uh, the time of Babel, and that's true from a biblical worldview. Now, as you turn the page from the uh, the events of Babel to uh, Genesis chapter twelve, we have the Lord instituting His plan. Now. The people of Babel wanted to make a name for themselves, and the Lord frustrated their plans. Now, the Lord chose this man, Abraham, to whom he was going to make his name great. And we know throughout the scriptures that these promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, were crucial, uh, were uh, of unparall- almost unparalleled significance in regarding uh, the salvation that was going to come from us through Abraham's offspring. And uh, that, as we know, was ultimately uh, Christ, but Christ came through this people. And we know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob gave birth to the the 12 tribes of Israel. They went into Egypt, were delivered by the hand of the Lord, and thus that was really the establishment of this nation. And as they were established, they had this unified tongue, which we know of as Hebrew. And it is through the tongue of Hebrew that we receive most of what we read in the Old Testament. Now, as we progress in the text, uh, there are a couple points uh, of, uh, in particular, uh, Daniel uh, and Esther, we have, uh, we have Aramaic. Mm-hmm. But by and large, Hebrew was this tongue. And as the, uh, the Hebrew uh, culture... And the Jewish culture, and the uh, culture of Israel, developed. This really was seen as the holy tongue. This is the holy tongue of Hebrew, and so, at you know, right at around 600 B.C., um, we have this holy tongue of Hebrew, and you have the nations around them, and they speak in a foreign tongue. Now, in the book of Isaiah, we're going to look at really two Old Testament passages in particular because. In our text, when we look in Acts and when we look in 1 Corinthians next time, but there are two passages that are explicitly referenced in regards to tongue speaking. And uh, I would argue that both of them have implications for Acts and 1 Corinthians. But in Isaiah chapter 28, we read of this prophecy of judgment, which is going to come upon Ephraim and upon Judah and Jerusalem. And... At a point, we find that the Lord is going to speak to his people through a foreign tongue. And that is in uh, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 28. And, And we read, For by a people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people, to whom he has said, This is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. Now, in the context here, uh, of, of Isaiah, we certainly can understand that the Lord is going to bring in a people of a foreign tongue, either the Assyrians or the Babylonians, to to speak to the people in, in one sense in judging them. But throughout the scriptures, we see that ultimately there is a, a fulfillment that is going to come at the time of uh, the, uh, the initial proclamation of the gospel. But Uh, Isaiah 28 is significant because that is one of the primary prophecies we have in regards to, quote-unquote, tongues in the Old Testament. So uh, we want to help remember that because this will be something that comes up in both Acts and 1 Corinthians. Now, the one that is is really um, important in regards to Acts chapter 2 is Joel. And uh, Joel, we read of the time when... The Lord is going to pour out his spirit on all people. And this is actually specifically quoted by by Peter. And we'll, and we'll see that in, in Acts 2. But let's just read that portion. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on my male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. So we see this, this prophecy in Joel, regarding prophecy, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Now, as we get to Acts 2, it will be helpful to remember this, because uh, this has a, a lot to do uh, with our understanding of what's going on in Acts 2. Uh, and it, it's, it's imperative. But these are really the two texts, the two primary texts, Isaiah 28 and Joel chapter 2, uh, in regards to the fulfillment of God's words here. The prophetic words and what is really going on with tongue speaking, and I'd like to remind you of a it was, it was very interesting in relation to this passage in Numbers. We find uh, that uh, there was a, a person prophesying, and, and um, I believe it was it was it was Joshua who was who was upset that someone was prophesying, and it was not Moses. And Moses makes a statement and and really in a sense rebuking Joshua, and saying. Uh, are you jealous for me? And he says, I, "If if I would, that all the people of the Lord would prophesy." So we see even there this 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 hope in Israel regarding prophecy. And as we progress here, we're going to see that tongues and prophecy are inseparable uh, in the in the biblical text. Uh, if you're going to understand tongues, you need to understand prophecy because in both Acts chapter two. Uh, as well as as we continue in Acts, and in First Corinthians chapters twelve through fourteen, you see that prophecy is is related uh, intimately and inseparably from tongues, and we'll see how and why as we progress through the narrative. But really, that's kind of the the um, the biblical and historical background as we approach this first century situation. Right. So let's uh, then set the stage for for Pentecost and for
0: uh, the Book of Acts where. We start to see the church now speaking in tongues, so to speak.
1: Right. How does that uh, play out
0: with this context that you've set up for us?
1: So let's, um, let's remember the context now that um, we've seen these these prophecies. And what happened with Israel was they were uh, sent into exile. Uh, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. And ultimately, the, uh, the land of Judah was taken captive by the Babylonians. And that really set into motion this, um, this assimilation where the people of Israel really started to lose their, quote-unquote, holy tongue. Mm-hmm. Now, Hebrew did survive, but most people... Now, there there is some disagreement regarding this, but as far as the extent of, of how much Hebrew was spoken, but most scholars and most linguists most of the people that do a lot of the even the archaeological scholarship would say that Hebrew was, was not a common language in the first century. The two common languages uh, in the first century in really the, the land of, the, uh, of Rome. Now remember, in the centuries prior, Alexander the Great had come and, and conquered so much of that part of the world, and thus there was what is known as the Hellenization, of that part of the world, which was the influence of Greek and Greek culture. Therefore, Greek uh, in the centuries leading up to the coming of Christ uh, really became the the dominant uh, mother tongue of that region. Now, Aramaic, which was a Semitic language, still remained. But when we get to the point of the first century with, with Rome in control now, virtually all people throughout that land, what we know of as the the ancient Near East in the first century, were speakers of either Aramaic or Greek. That that would have been their mother tongue. And there's some debate as to where and why and how. But in general, if you go to the east of Jerusalem, there would be more Aramaic speakers over in that region. Mm -hmm. The more you went west, the more uh, Greek speakers there would be but Aramaic and Greek were both very prevalent and it, especially in regards to the Jewish, what is called the Diaspora. Now the Diaspora has to do with this exile, the Jews, Diaspora thinks of being dispersed you have Jews from uh, are still Jews, are still practicing Jews, but they don't live in Jerusalem they are dispersed uh, and uh, that's going to be key when we get to Acts uh, chapter 2 because they're dispersed And they are going to be coming to the land of Israel because at the time of what we know of as Pentecost, uh, Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks, and that is considered a uh, a pilgrimage feast where uh, devout Jews would travel from wherever they're at to celebrate this feast, which was right around 50 days after Passover. So uh, as we... We, we uh, see that uh, the Jews would be coming in from all over the place to partake in this, uh, this, this feast in Jerusalem. Now, the languages at work during this time, there really were four languages at work. And as I said, the two common languages, from all that we can tell, were Greek and Aramaic. Now, there were two sub-languages that were still in use. One is uh, in relation to the Jewish culture. Hebrew was in use in one sense. Hebrew, and as I said, there is some debate as to how extensive Hebrew was used. But uh, there's there's little debate that um, as far as Aramaic was much more, and Greek were were way more. And actually, most historians or linguists that look at the first century. Would say that Hebrew was mainly a liturgical language. It was learned by more of the upper upper class, the elite. It would have been the Sanhedrins or those uh, of the upper class. They were they would be taught. They would be they would be they would learn the the language of Hebrew. But the common people uh, did not know. Most of the common people, if not all of the common people, did not know uh, Hebrew.
0: And it was a lot like. Uh Catholicism for many centuries, all the services, all, everything was always in Latin, and the common people didn't understand it. They'd go to the service and just kind of sit through it but wouldn't understand. It was kind of similar that the Jews would go to the synagogue and they would hear Hebrew and not understand it for the most part.
1: Exactly, and I think that's a, a real good analogy. and We can see that up until six, right around sixty-two, when uh, the Vatican ultimately decided to change it into the mother tongue of the people, the the, 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 the mass, mm-hmm. um, up until that point, yeah, it, everything was done in Latin, because that was considered within Roman Catholicism, the holy tongue. And in the same way, there was this holy tongue in, um, in the culture. And this was the tongue that the law was given in. And thus, um, during the feasts, the, the priests would come out and they would give the liturgy, in the holy tongue of Hebrew, and those that would come uh, would not—I mo- mean, most of those that would come would not have understood what was going on. So it would, yeah, certainly, if we wanted to look to, to somewhat more of a mo- modern example, uh, it, it would be uh, the Latin within Catholicism, and there are still—I uh, know there are still churches, Catholic churches out there that do their mass in Latin. The pre-Vatican two. So, yeah. Yep, pre-Vatican II, which was right around in sixty-two, nineteen sixty-two, sixty-three. They 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 think that going away from the holy tongue of Latin is is apostasy. Um, so they remain. So we can see these these elements. This this holy tongue. Uh, there's a term of glacia It's a it's a holy tongue. And uh, so that is another language. So you have Aramaic, which is a common Semitic language. You have Greek, which was a, the common language of the Romans and then you have latin latin is the fourth language uh, that we see uh, evidence in this world at the time and really beyond that outside of uh, particular dialects that seems to be that which is at work one of uh, with the the two main common languages of the day being uh, greek and aramaic latin was more of a a military or a government language that was used by the romans so primarily, that was used by people either in the military or in uh, in the high places of Roman government, and uh, Latin then indeed proceeded to to advance, um, and it was it was even used at times in, in literary uh, literary works. But it certainly wasn't anything that you would have seen uh, the common people of the day use, especially in the regions. Um, in Judea, unless it was it was it was uh, probably centurions or Roman uh, soldiers or what have you. But um, what's interesting is you do see that as um, some might may ask, you know, okay, well this is all this is all interesting history, but but what do the scriptures say? Do the scriptures have to speak anyway of this? Well, there are a couple couple things that I'd like to point out. First off, recall what the scriptures are written in. As we look at our New Testament, the New Testament is almost all written in Greek. Now, there are a couple of places where another language is used, and that is Aramaic. At times, when when Christ is speaking, like for instance, "Talitha Koum, a little girl arise, that uh, is 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 Aramaic, uh, and and we we find the biblical authors oftentimes using Aramaic uh, for their literary. Reasons, So, we see there uh, uh, Aramaic and Greek, not only just in what the Bible is written in, but furthermore, in, in John chapter 19, there is some more evidence uh, regarding the, uh, the languages in use during that day. Now, in John 19, this is the account of the crucifixion of, of the Lord, and Pilate had a, had a sign made up. And we read in in, in John 19, verse 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So you have those three languages, which would have been uh, the languages at work in Jerusalem at this time. Now remember, Passover is also a pilgrim feast. So uh, the pe- the Jews that were gathering at the time of Passover would have been able to understand either Aramaic or Greek. And it's also in Latin. Now Latin would make sense, because this was most probably written by someone that is associated with Pilate, because Pilate had it ordered. And knowing that Latin was the military language, uh, we would have seen... Okay, yeah, this is why that was written in Latin. But Hebrew is not on here. Mm-hmm. Thus, um, Hebrew, uh, and we see later that the... Uh, Actually, given what you said earlier about it being
0: more of an ecclesiastical language yeah. of the day,
1: that would have been even more provocative. If, if sure. Oh, Hebrew yeah, well. and, and you can see, even see that the, the chief priests were mad about it do not write the king of the Jews but rather this right. man said i 'm the king of the Jews and he 's whatever written i 've written so he didn 't consult with them about this at all right you know it, this was so again biblically there we see with, with the within John where Jesus which, which I think is in in John is a is kind of a beautiful irony i don 't think Pilate was was literally saying that that was intended to shame both uh, probably the Jewish people as a whole and and, and certainly Christ but uh, I think John, in his use of irony, it's, it's a beautiful irony, as in, in all of the, in these different tongues, yep. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Yep. So in one sense, um, and this is kind of, we'll show our hand a little bit here, Pilate, in one sense, not knowing it, was proclaiming in a tongue, or in tongues right here, the, the truth of Jesus as the the, the king of the Jews.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Of course, he didn't mean that, but we see John using that irony, like the chief priest um you know prophesying that jesus would die for a whole nation and 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 those matters and i i see that going on here but anyways what we see here historically is that uh aramaic greek and latin would have been the language in use at that day and all the people going by at this passover feast would have read and understood these things okay now i know we've been talking a lot about context but this is part of the issue and uh, getting Just be clothing yourself of what was going on in this land, in this region, culturally and historical and geography, in, in as far as geography goes. This helps us because when you hear someone say, are you speaking in tongues right now? Automatically, you and I and basically everyone, whether Christian or not, are going to think of ecstatic utterances or babbling. Mm-hmm. That's what we have understood the, these three terms put together, speaking in tongues as as to mean, and therefore we take that definition and bring it to the biblical text. Instead, now with this context hopefully sufficiently painted, we can get into the book of Acts now and see what is really going on uh, in regards to the context here, uh, in regards to the usage of these terms speaking or utterance or tongues, and we're going to look really at, at Acts as a whole here because That's also part of context rather than just isolating Acts 2. Seeing how in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, we really see the program for what is going to be going on throughout all of Acts really set up in Acts chapters 1 and 2.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, let's get into Acts chapter 1. You started off when we were
1: discussing uh, pre-show with uh, Acts 1 8. Yeah, and... Luke is a is a, is a brilliant writer, and obviously any writer inspired by the Holy Spirit is by definition brilliant. But uh, we we see at the beginning of Acts that Jesus has uh, called his his disciples to the Mount of Olives, and he, he, he instructs them to 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 go and and wait. Tells them to go and wait, and he's going to. Uh, in in chapter in, in chapter one verse eight, we see that we, we read that Jesus says, But you, this is speaking of his disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that statement by our Lord is is so important to understand Acts because this is what Acts is all about. Acts is all about the advancement of the message of the king. And we're going to see it start in Jerusalem, we're going to see it advance to Samaria, and then we're going to see it stretch even to the uttermost places of the earth, which in this text is Rome. And obviously, as we look in history, we see that it's, it's continued to advance to the utter ends of the earth. So that's so important that we understand this. So Jesus ascends, and then... The angels in white robes say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, what's interesting here is they're referred to as men of Galilee, and oftentimes we just kind of overlook that and think, hmm, you know, all oh, that's just how they're referred to. But I think something significant is here, because in referring to Galilee is referring back to a prophecy in Galilee. Isaiah, which says, which declares, in the land of Galilee, they are going to, see, uh, people are going to see a great light. Thus, this this promise of this Davidic king is going to be seen in Galilee. So, these men of Galilee are the ones who saw this great light. They've just watched him ascend into heaven, and now they are going to be his witnesses. So that now brings us. So we remember at this time we're in between Passover and Pentecost. Two. F- Two feasts that are important. Passover being where Jesus was, was crucified as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is now raised and ascended. And now this next feast is at hand. And that is the Feast of Pentecost. Now let's, let's, let's pick up in Acts 2 here. Mm-hmm. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, that is the disciples. And they, there suddenly came a sound from, from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, now it is extremely important for us now to read this in its not only historical context, but also paying attention to the words here, because oftentimes we just gloss over these words, and sometimes there are Greek words that don't adequately communicate what needs to be communicated. And sometimes that's on the translators, and sometimes it's 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 on us to to do our due diligence to look into it. But first, they were gathered on this. Okay, so the feast has come, Pentecost. Now, the we read that these divided tongues came, and this so this probably these were uh, were tongues of fire, and so they look they looked like tongues, and they were tongues of fire, which I I think is intended to represent that uh, they're going to go forth, and they're, they're, literally their tongues are going to be of fire, and we know that fire is, is something that both purifies and judges. Mm-hmm. And so it, this is a, a visible sign of what these men, uh, what, what all of these, uh, and actually men and women, at this time are going to be undertaking in the book of Acts. So remembering this is Pentecost, so this is a, a pilgrim feast, so the uh the the dispersed jews the the ones that are are devoted have come to Jerusalem again mm-hmm. uh they were the, these men were probably there in uh most most of them were there at the time of uh passover so we have Pentecost here and Again, this was the time where the priests would come out, the high priests would come out, and they would um, proclaim. They would do their liturgies. Uh, But it was done in the Holy Tongue of Hebrew. And thus, we see this band of Galileans have the Holy Spirit poured out on them, and they began to speak in other tongues. Now, first, speak here is uh, and this, uh, a common word for speak uh, in, in the scriptures. The Greek word is alaleo, uh, and that's a very general word. And I think we, we need to be careful when we, uh, when we read particular words in context to see what they are looking to convey. Now, in this context, I think to speak is to not just an ability to speak in a language they never knew, but to proclaim. Remember, the context is that they were going to be witnesses. And before, many of these men were, were cowards. They did not have the boldness to stand up for Christ. Remember, at the Passover, when Christ was, arre- was arrested, they fleed. Uh, Peter in particular. And now we're going to see a reversal with Peter. We're going to see that him who was once timid and fearful was going to become bold. So to speak in other tongues, to proclaim in other tongues, it's significant here because other tongues, now tongues here is uh, is glossa. And glossa, as far as a, t- a tongue goes, it, that's a general word as well. It couldn't mean a literal tongue. But when it's used in regards to speech, it, it, it almost always is speaking of language, and throughout the scriptures, it's always a known language. It's something that people understand, uh, and I would I would argue it's the same case in First Corinthians fourteen, where that's where people, some people want to say there's an exception, but I don't believe that's the case. So we see he, uh, they began. To speak, and again, as we look at this, if we're looking at our with our twentieth, twenty first century understanding of what we have thought speaking tongues is, we think of a a house full of people just babbling. But I think the purpose here is that they began, they began to proclaim. Remember, they were told to go and wait. Mm -hmm. It was at this point where they began to proclaim this message of boldness, and they were doing it in other tongues. And I think the other tongues here is in relation to, they weren't doing it in the holy tongue of Hebrew. And remember our, our Isaiah 28 passage. From other tongues, I'm going to speak to this people, and they're not going to listen. So we have Peter, who probably, there's a, there's a possibility that that the, those from Galilee spoke both Aramaic and Greek. There's a very, very strong possibility, because that's in the northern regions where there were a lot more Gentiles, a lot more Greek speakers, so they may have needed to be bilingual, but they certainly also spoke Aramaic. So Peter, as we see, is probably going to stand up and and speak Aramaic. But so we see him speaking in other tongues, and I'm convinced, given the as as we progress, that these other tongues were probably Greek and Hebrew, you know? and and we'll, we'll we'll see why as we we go forth. But what is what it is, is Greek and Aramaic? Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Greek and Aramaic, not Hebrew. And right. that's the point. It's not Hebrew. And um, another point here is, in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, people often think of that as, oh, well, the Spirit is enabling them to speak in a language that they have not ever learned. And again, you and I were talking before the kind of the pre-show, and it's it's not that God doesn't have the ability to do this. He does. Right. God, he's a worker of, of miracles and wonders, and and that which we read in the scriptures, the, the the healing of the lame, the healing of the the blind, all that we see in both the, the scriptures and in Acts, all those things literally took place. But the, the the miracle that's going on in this text is the equipping of these unlearned, common folk to boldly announce the terms of the gospel and to prophesy. So this to give utterance. In fact, the, the Greek word there is actually apathengomai. Apathengomai. and it's a rarely used word. It's used just a handful of times in the New Testament, but there in, in the extended literature, there's there's uh, other instances as well. And it's the the Holy Spirit giving them utterance is it's the ability for bold and eloquent speech. That is what that term. So the Spirit gave them the ability for bold and eloquent learned speech. That's really what that word is conveying here. In fact, when Paul, another usage is when Paul goes before the regional governors in, later in Caesarea. That same word is used regarding his address to them. So it's a bold, eloquent address. And by fishermen and common men. By fishermen and common men. Yes, and and we'll see we'll see evidence of this through Acts as we read in Acts two uh, and Acts chapter four. We'll see that the Pharisees were upset. the 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 Sanhedrin was upset because uh, these men were uh, uh, were standing up and, and teaching, which was their job. Right. Uh, and the uh, uh, so they were. Again, as you said, they were they are they were kind of getting into someone else's territory here. Mm-hmm. But the the issue here is regarding that they were prophesying; they were prophesying in tongues other than Hebrew. And I think the original readers would have understood this because they would have understood the dynamics of what are, what's going on in Acts. They would have understood the the dynamics of language. And let's keep reading here. Well, it's um, just like.
0: Uh... You going back to the Catholic analogy earlier; yep. it, it would be similar to Martin Luther speaking up or standing up and speaking in German, right, rather than Latin at right. a service,
1: right? It, it would have been people yeah. would have been flabbergasted. Yep, how could you do that? And and we're going to see that the, this astonishment uh, in a sense, and and our traditional understanding of the things are kind of upturned when we see these other more likelihoods given the context, given what was going on, given the cultural norms. Because the thing is is it wasn't normal for a bunch of fishermen to stand up and start teaching the people. Um, and uh, let's let's read the next section of Acts here, and I think we'll we'll get some insight. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout from devout men from every nation under heaven. Now note there, it's Jews. A lot of people think Pentecost the, the day of Pentecost is about the gospel going out to Gentiles. I don't in not here yet. not yet. This is to the Jews first. Uh, and and those it says that there are God fears as well, mm-hmm. and at the sound at this sound, so this was them. They began to speak. So this now they are out in public. So this happened. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Now they're going out to publicly speak. They hear this sound of these men proclaiming. They came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, "Are not all these who are speaking Galileans?" And and how is it? well? Let's stop there. All not so they recognize that are not all these Galileans. So first they're 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 hearing this in their own uh, native tongue. And there's another there's another uh, word used, just dialectos, which we don't want to make too much out of a, a distinct. Actually, some people do because they think there's two things going on here, but I think it's just. They're saying, it's, it's another word to emphasize, we're hearing these, the, they're saying things in our own uh, native languages. Not what we expect to hear and, and be taught in when we come to the temple in Jerusalem. And as we see throughout Acts 2 and 3 and 4, this happened in and around the temple. So they, they, they're like, we hear them in proclaiming in our native language, not Hebrew. And they says are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Galileans thinking well who are these men these uh, there were probably outward indicators that these men were Galileans uh and they were fish they were fishermen from up in Galilee and so really this is odd these these commoners are getting up and boldly proclaiming and let, let's keep reading This is and how is it that we hear now the how is it there isn't isn't necessarily speaking of um, h- how is it that these people are speaking this way? It's more of a question of, and, and if you do a study in this, this, the Greek construction here, how is it? In what way? It's, 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 it's a, just a question. What's like, going on? What's going on? on? What's going on? And, and how is it that we, what's going on? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phaegra and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So again, there is a violation of a very, of a norm, of a cultural norm. The the priests came out, and gave the liturgy, and if there was teaching to be done, perhaps they would do it. These Galileans, these commoners, stand up and do it. And um, now a mistake people make is that they read this, and the list of nations, and they think, oh, well, these are all the different languages. You know, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia. Um, it's not saying that they were speaking in Parthian, or speaking in... Uh, in uh, Libyan. No, it's it's saying these were where they were from. So people from all, the, the dispersed Jews were gathered back here to Jerusalem and in either, in all of these, in, in everything that I've read, all of these lands, it was either Aramaic or Greek.
0: So the list is almost like in a, in a modern and contemporary context would be like saying, are they not Minnesotans and Californians, right. and New Yorkers?
1: Yeah, or if you wanted to put two languages into the equation, as we said before, Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, in Canada, you have, you have all the provinces, but you have really two uh, native tongues right. in Canada, and that is uh, English and French. So, um, again, yeah, when you, when you think of Canada, and, and actually the region around there, it's really quite small. Uh, when you when you when, if you look at all of these mm-hmm. nations, it's not that this is scattered throughout the whole world. No, this is really more of a compact you know a compact region in the ancient Near East. So it, it, it certainly, if you want to take the United States, as we have people from uh, you know from from Minnesota, from Wisconsin, from Missouri, you know, together in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, that, that again, that's a mistake that even I made reading this, thinking that all these people spoke everyone here spoke a different language. No, they would have been able to communicate. and again, going back to um, Passover and what Pilate hung, that, you know the Jews that were gathered were able to read either Aramaic or Greek and read what was going on there. So um, we have the disciples getting up and, 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 and speaking. now what do we read now? Others were asking, "What does this mean? What's going on?" And uh, others mocked and said they were they're filled with with new wine, and so th- that's the accusation that they're drunk. Now, again, I've you know misread that when, when I thought this was just you know babbling or ecstatic utterances or, or them speaking in a language that most people didn't understand. As oh well, since they're talking in another language, it's but if if everybody's from a different language um they wouldn't say they were they were drunk because that would have been the, the the case, you would have heard a bunch of people speaking in in all sorts of different languages that you wouldn 't recognize and and, and let 's just think of what happens when someone 's drunk when someone drinks too much alcohol. they lose their inhibitions now someone standing up in the temple or in the temple area and boldly announcing the glories of god the mighty works of god and that's actually we see here they heard they understood we hear them in our own language and they understood they were telling in our own native languages in our tongues the mighty works of god so they're hearing prophecy and let's define prophecy a little bit and um let's get into the next uh the next section and that will really i think help illuminate some of these things but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now again, he's addressing them. Think back. The Spirit gave the ability for utterance. This is that bold speech. And we, we see Peter. Who better to show this transformation than Peter?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what we saw at Pentecost. The this, bumbling guy The, the, the cowering, just, I don't know him. Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, standing up and saying... Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, but since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, this is that Joel text we read. Now, let's see what... So, Peter here is going to explain what's going on. And, again, I think our modern language obscures, our modern understandings obscure and we miss the forest through the trees it's right in front of us peter tells us what's going on here in the last days it shall be god declares i will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions your old men shall dream dreams and even on my male servants and female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy so peter says what's going on here is this fulfillment of joel that the holy Spirit's going to be poured out And the point of Joel is it's not just going to be poured out on the prophets of Israel or those who are of high standing or remember the Holy Spirit was poured out on kings. He says, even the ones that are considered lowly, your servants, both male and female, are going to have the Spirit poured out on them. And what's going to be the result? They will prophesy. So what's going on is... And we see that perfectly with the example of the Galileans. God didn't pour a spirit out upon the Sanhedrin who were the elite and the ones that were were bowed to in Jerusalem. He poured it out on these lowly Galileans. Peter says it. This is what's going on. This is what's fulfilled. They're not drunk. Bold speech has been given through the Holy Spirit and they're declaring the mighty works of God. That's what's going on. There's no mention here of of miraculously learning a new language, or, um, or, or or anything like that. It's that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they boldly, pre- really, they boldly preached the gospel. And therefore, um, I would encourage anyone who listens to this to go through the Book of Acts and read the speeches in Acts. That I am convinced is prophecy. This the the speaking of God's mighty works and. As we see throughout Acts, this was done in strange tongues, not the holy tongue of Hebrew. Now, um, let's 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 move on to uh, to chapter four because we're going to see further evidence of what we've been going on. Now, again, the crowd thinks they're 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 drunk because they they know they're doing things that's going to get them into trouble. And what happens when people get drunk? They do things that get them into trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes having uh you know no inhibit you know a lot of times having no inhibition is not a good thing <laughs> but here we see the holy spirit removed their fear their inhibitions of getting up and and proclaiming and we we read just the first part of peter's address there and we saw that was bold utterance and that's what they were hearing they were hearing this in their own native language now um there was a healing and they were speaking again uh, in four, four, one, they, he, Peter just gives uh, another powerful proclamation. We read the beginning of four, and as they were speaking, the people to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they were greatly annoyed that they were teaching the people. Now, the Sad, I think the Sadducees are, no, are noted there because. They didn't believe in the resurrection, resurrection. exactly. But they're annoyed. Mm -hmm. This is our turf. They're greatly annoyed that these Galileans are teaching the people. And they arrested them. So the, the people knew they would probably get in trouble for this, and they did. But their boldness was there. And we see Peter stand up then again, remembering that he cowered, We see on the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who are of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their nest, they inquired, By what power or what name do you do this? And then Peter, again, note, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you. And to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. Again, bold utterance by the Holy Spirit. To the Sanhedrin, he's prophesying again. Remember, again, going back to Isaiah 28. By a strange tongue, I will speak to this people. And Peter probably is speaking to them in Aramaic. I can't say that for sure, but it's if I were to... To guess, he's probably speaking to them in Aramaic. And note what their reaction is, the chief priests. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, <laughs> they were astonished. So again, we see the issue here is that right there with the, they weren't like, well, where'd they learn this language? Or where'd they learn even Hebrew, so to speak? No, that's not at issue in the text at all. The issue here is... They're uneducated, common men. There's this Galilean fisherman, and they're speaking these bold, powerful words. They were astonished. So again, we see that all of these things within the context just makes so much sense now. Now, as we we see them threatened again, and, and actually in, in in verse four, we see there's threats again, and we find in in chapter thirty one. Or rather, verse 31, something that sounds almost exactly like what we read in, in Acts 2. Uh, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and what? Continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. So it's almost like we have a parallel passage there. But the Holy Spirit is coming upon them, and the issue is they're speaking the word of God with boldness. Now, they, now you have a couple other instances, and then you have uh, Stephen. Stephen. Now remember the issue of of, of tongues, and again, our, our, again, one of the we've looked at Joel. Now we see where Joel fits in, but also this Isaiah passage, Isaiah twenty eight, these foreign tongues. Now Peter proclaimed to the to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests in uh, most probably an Aramaic tongue. Now Stephen was someone that was uh, was chosen because uh, it, it seemed like he. In chapter six, we see that there was a complaint by the Hellenists, who were Greek speaking Jews. And they were saying that they were getting uh, neglected. So, these seven men were chosen, and one of them was Stephen. And it says right there, it says right there, Stephen was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word of God continued to increase. And then Stephen was doing wonders and signs. And some of those who belonged to the, a synagogue, and were probably, again, Hellenistic here, being Greek speakers, stirred up problems with Stephen. Now, uh, Stephen, they, uh, again, they couldn't, um, it says in, in verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which was with which he was speaking. So they could not come against his, his bold utterance and wise sayings. And um, they stirred up the people and they brought him to the council. Now, m- many of us are familiar with, with Stephen's speech before the council. But, Again, look what we've read so far. It's proclaiming the mighty acts of God and prophesying in boldness. That's what we see when the Spirit comes upon these people. Now, Peter was probably speaking Aramaic. In the context we read Stephen here, within uh, the Hellenistic groups, he was probably speaking in Greek. So we see the two main tongues at work in the ancient world go to these ones who were entrusted with the holy tongue of Hebrew and the Lord speaks to them in Aramaic and Greek in these other tongues. Mm-hmm. And remember what it said? Still, they will not listen. Right. And what happened with Stephen? Uh, he didn't even get to the chance to tell them to repent. He, <laughs> he just convicted them. He gave the testimony against them. And they pulled him out uh, to the east uh, and, and stoned him to death. And so there we have the Jerusalem issue. Okay? So we see tongues within the context of Jerusalem. Now, this is just primarily within those who are Jews, but within Judaism or, or the Jewish realm. There was uh, Greek speaking and and, and, and your Aramaics and Hebrew speaking Jews. Let's let's hit chapter ten and 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 chapter nineteen because those are really the only other sure. points that we see that we see in in the Book of Acts where tongues is brought up. Now in 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 Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter is up near Caesarea. Now, Caesarea is 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 north, so the gospel's reaching this ends of the earth. And Caesarea was a port town, Mm -hmm. and there was uh, a lot of there was a big military presence. And there was this man named Cornelius who was was one who feared God. And through several miraculous aspects, Peter was in Joppa and was brought to Caesarea, and Peter preaches to them. And let's read what we uh, what we read of, um, let's read when, when Peter preaches the good news to them. While Peter was still saying these things, this is in Acts 10.44, while while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So again, we hear them, spe- again, you read that speaking in tongues and automatically your mind is just I think it was ecstatic utterances Ecstatic utterance and, and babbling. But the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And let's remember what we've read so far when the Holy Spirit's poured out. They began to announce extolling God, glorifying God, and doing it in tongues. Now let's remember what we've learned about tongues so far. It, it seems that, I, I think, the best reading is that this is this. it was announced in Aramaic and Greek. And now it's reaching farther north, and... The gospel has been proclaimed to the primary Hebrew speakers and they've rejected it. Mm -hmm. Now you go to this Roman centurion. Remember what we learned about the centurions? They probably spoke Latin. Uh, And they were surely Greek speakers. So the circumcised hear them. Again, here, it's not that they were just babbling, they were understanding them. They understand, they heard them extolling God. So they were understanding the Greek speakers in there and they probably, there may have been other things that they weren't understanding but someone may have been in- interpreting to them. So the, within this Cornelius' household, there would have been those in the, in the Roman guard who would have proclaimed in probably one of their most natural tongues, which would have been Latin. And so, the t- again, the proclamation of the gospel is going forth in, in Acts. So now we see it going to the Gentiles, and they are speaking in tongues. And let's remember that. They are proclaiming God's mighty acts in a language other than Hebrew. Now, I think that's the best way to read that in Acts. Now, we get to... Uh, the, the last place we read of this in Acts is in Acts chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollo was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus... Uh, this is me speaking. Ephesus is is a even farther north. And it was, um, again, a, 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 a city that was a hotbed, a, a multilingual hotbed, as is Corinth. So... Paul comes up to these people and, and says, Do you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what were you baptized? And he said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. Okay, the issue here is, Again, we read these things. Paul lays his hands on them and they start speaking in tongues. We think of, of these 12 men just start babbling. And we know from Paul's writing that he wouldn't allow that. Because when, when there's a gathering, uh, one, one or two speaks at a time. Right. One It's to be an orderly. So this wasn't that they all just started, it, 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 was, it was chaos. No. Remembering here, they began to proclaim. These people uh, were, um, were followers of Apollo's but here they they heard the the gospel from from Christ and the Holy Spirit came upon them and what happened they began to proclaim. Uh, now in this text I always just a lot of times I just stop reading try to figure out okay what's going on here. But again notice there were twelve men here which it seems like okay these were Paul disciples for this region here and they began to proclaim and remembering that Ephesus was a uh, a fairly um, you know multilingual city and. Also, that these people followed Apollos and were interested in John, they may have. This probably was a, a mixed of, of 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 maybe people that spoke Aramaic and Greek. Uh, now let's read the next two verses, and we'll see what the what, what happened here. Remember, Paul laid his hands on them, which is oftentimes a uh, a, a visible sign of a uh, inauguration into a ministry. So I think these, in one sense, were Paul's partners in proclaiming the gospel in this region. And as we, um, so they began to proclaim because they're equipped by the Holy Spirit to do this now, to boldly announce, let's read the next three verses. And now that makes so much more sense. And, they entered the, and he entered the synagogue and for three months boldly spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of this become stubborn and continue in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus, And this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. It just, it fits so well knowing what we've known so far through Acts and that um, these people came, they began to proclaim in various languages and that enabled all those in that region, whether they're Jew or Greek, regardless of what they spoke, to hear the word of God. And... Uh, you see there there are other things in acts that that demonstrate this, but ultimately at the end of Acts, um, oftentimes I read Acts and I thought when we got to the you get to the end it 's like boy, that stopped fast did we did we forget to have the epilogue or the conclusion <laughs> but knowing as i 've studied Acts really more in depth over this last year and seeing kind of this thread of proclamation and bold speaking how that is really what 's going on with the spirit. The the last verses of Acts make total sense. Again, let's remember that program. Acts uh one eight uh one chapter eight or chapter one verse eight. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria into the ends of the earth. And we find Paul in Rome at the end. Remember we've seen in Jerusalem the proclamation. Witnesses we've seen Peter, John, Stephen. And then we see Peter going up to Caesarea, which is North in the even in the realm of Samaria, and we see other places in Samaria where they're speaking. Yep. Then we have that the the last two verses of Acts, speaking of Paul. Actually, let's read the last three, 28 through thirty or through thirty-one. Therefore, let it be known to you that the self this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles; they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and with all and hindrance. So he spoke, proclaimed the kingdom of God and about Jesus with all boldness. And notice what he even said. and I, I, I just noticed this here. And again, as you start to construct this context and know the biblical background, the Old Testament background, you start to see things. Notice he says, uh, it's going to the Gentiles. They will listen. What was it said to the, the house of, of, of Judah in, in Isaiah 28?
0: Uh-huh.
1: They won't listen. They're going to speak in other tongues and they won't listen. Here they will listen. So again, all of these points I, I find very, um, as you look through the the original context, I find very persuasive. Now, again, as as we read through this, especially that we haven't touched even on uh, First Corinthians, I'm sure there's so many questions. Of, what about this? What about this? What about this? As there should be, if there's a paradigm shift, oftentimes there's there's all sorts of questions, yeah. and. Um, but I, I really think this there there is compelling evidence here that by and large um, we have misunderstood the foundation of tongues mm-hmm. and just let me uh, go ahead and then let me i, I want to make one final thing before we wrap sure
0: well yeah i was just going to summarize that uh, as we've gone through acts we haven't kind uh, of we haven't disproven or discredited any kind of gift of tongues right we've just shown that or you've you've shown i should say <laughs> that in the book of Acts itself, there's nothing that requires that there's some kind of supernatural speech going on over and above the boldness. Right. That there's, there's nothing that says that there's another language that the speaker doesn't understand that's being spoken in the book of Acts.
1: Right. There are other supernatural things going on. Right. It's just that all of a sudden Peter understood Thai. And started speaking or didn't, didn't understand. Just started speaking in, 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 in some oriental language or something like that. It's just not going on here. And that's the thing is, is also when you start looking at this, um, and you ask questions like the typical questions, like have tongues ceased and in the X, you know,
0: of course not. Well, this, yeah, I was going to, I was thinking that as we got started and we're kind of coming back around to it, it's a perfect time to bring it up. But with this understanding, it brings a whole new understanding to the idea of cessationism. Right and that well if if speaking in a language other than Hebrew is still happening then yeah. it's kind of hard to be a cessationist in, <laughs> exactly. in that term. I mean, it's
1: yep it, yeah and and again speaking it's not just you know, it's not just being able to speak English or or Thai or German or Latin or whatever it be right. it's what you're saying exactly. and how you're saying it that's what's given to us by the holy spirit and um, and continually and so we see this this, this work of Acts continuing throughout every tribe, nation, and tongue where the Lord gives bold utterance. And let me, let me just give you an example. You remember a couple months ago, and I, and I confess I don't know uh, where this has gone. In fact, because I haven't heard it's probably still status quo. But in Iran, there was this uh, Christian pastor that was going to be executed, right. um, and he was brought before a council and uh, reading his testimony before them where he's saying you want me to repent they want him to repent and return to islam he says you want in 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 reading this i'm paraphrasing here you want me to repent and return to uh that which is is not of god uh, um you know to the god that which is 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 not true and and and, and he, he was even bolder than that and he says that i cannot do and it again I, that's right along with what you see in acts is that bold right. utterance standing up for the gospel that is continuing through in a foreign tongue, yeah. and um, I, I think there's really exciting things. Now, when we get into First Corinthians, it, there's a, it, there's 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 relationship because we're going to see Paul bring up First or Isaiah 28 specifically. He's going to quote it, but there is a whole new context here because this has to do with a, a multilingual congregation and how we are called to deal with that. And so, is there a gift of tongue speaking? If you're speaking in uh, if you're proclaiming the, the the powerful work of God with your tongue um in a in language other than Hebrew, then in the accents you're you're a tongue speaker well, and a tongue proclaimer <laughs>
0: well we are quickly running out of time but uh thanks for for coming in and i this is just fascinating to me i I really appreciate the work you put into to, to digging into this and that and but uh, I'd like to let you wrap up and close with any parting thoughts
1: well yeah i i'm I'm really excited about this i I think it's the reason why i I, i'm excited about it is because of where this understanding places its focus Mm -hmm. its focus is on the proclamation of the gospel of jesus of nazareth
0: back where it belongs
1: where it it always was and where it should be and uh we're still doing that which we see in acts and um you certainly the Lord still extends his hand to heal and, and to work wonders. And I, you know, as he sees fit. Um, but this, what, what is front and center in the book of acts is that to which all all point And that's the message of the gospel, which saves people from sin. And that's, um, I would encourage the, those who have listened to, to, um, to sit down and read acts. Cause all of a sudden you just start seeing things that you never saw before. And things just really start to come alive in a way that is, is, is honoring rather than, uh, when you sit back and, and just say, boy, what, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, and, and how does this relate to me as a 21st century believer? So, um, I, and as, as we said earlier, I welcome any feedback. Um, yeah, I very say. much
0: look forward to part two, which we'll, we'll probably do late spring or early summer. Any questions, comments, uh, please direct them to com slash contact. Uh, love to hear it. We'll, we'll compile them and put them together. And then, uh add them into our, our follow-up but uh, i look forward to that
1: wonderful thanks for having me again. thank Andy. you
0: that wraps up episode 44 thanks again for listening remember to check out echozoe.com slash 44 for show notes including an outline of what you just heard as well as scriptures referenced and additional resources i want to thank all those people who helped to make for a great 2011 for Echo Zoe and Echo Zoe ministries Thanks go out to all of my guests this year, including Patrick Shalopsky, Christine Pack, Ryan Habana, Phil Johnson, Brett Kunkel, Scott Klusendorf, Robert Backtel, Dick Cuffel, Mike Abendroth, and Sandy Simpson. Thanks also to my wife Jessica and our three boys for supporting me. My wife also did the legal work necessary for getting us filed as a nonprofit organization and to apply for tax exempt status. A huge help for a growing ministry. Thanks also to all of you, the listeners of Echo Zoe Radio. I count it an enormous privilege to be a part of your lives once a month as we discuss theological issues. Above all, I thank the Lord for counting me among his elect and for giving me the opportunity to produce a show that I pray brings him glory. Have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and Lord willing, I'll be back in January for another installment of Echo Zoe Radio. I'll see you next month for Episode 45.